Welcome back, friend. Yet again, you join me on a holiday. It's Pan American Day at Casa de Blood, a day in which we celebrate political and economic unity across our great country. Now, I don't get out too much, but I'd say this year we nailed it again. What do you think, Chester? Hey, like it or lump it, kid. Don't mind him, friend. He gets cranky when he's hungry. Come on in, we've got work to do. Mm. <sighs> well, that's because... <laughs> in any case, we've got our health. So smoke them if you've got them and drink those glasses to the bottom. Because old Drew Blood has a tale to tell. Oh, hey, I didn't see you there. You know, Drew Blood's Dark Tales is only one of the many shows on this network you could be listening to. We hope you'll subscribe to our entire lineup, including Chilling Tales for Dark Nights, Scary Stories Told in the Dark, Fear from the Heartland, and Horror Hill. All available on YouTube or your favorite podcast platform. Also, visit simplyscarypodcast.com to become a patron. For as little as $5 a month, you get our entire catalog ad-free and available to download or stream. A bargain. And now, back to the show. For our first story, we welcome back the talented Gray Walker, whom you might remember from The Mist of Carpenter's Ridge, and more recently, Project Morpheus. Tonight, we've got a western tale of revenge and redemption, old Drew Blood's bread and butter. So without further delay, from author Gray Walker, I give you... The Condemned. The dust crunched beneath Bill's boots as he ran, heart pounding and sweat running down his face. The gunshot still rang out behind him. His gang was dead. He knew it. They didn't concern him, though. He could find more people to serve as his underlings. What concerned him was getting the hell away from that man. That weren't no man, he thought frantically as he almost tripped on a loose rock. That there was the devil. He knew that by all accounts his actions made him yellow, but living cowards were better than dead fools. If they was gonna try taking on the damn devil, serve them right, he reasoned. Making it to one of the unoccupied homes, Bill quickly entered, opening his pack, and began hastily shoveling as much food as he could fit. At least there were fewer mouths to feed now. Once he shoved enough into the saddlebags, he mounted his horse and began riding away. While he rode, he heard the deep cackle of the stranger behind him before he called out. He only rode faster. Three days passed and he kept riding. He didn't stop. Not for food, not for water, not for sleep. He cursed a distance of Angel's Pit from civilization, ignoring the fact that he had chosen it as a hideout for that very reason. He didn't think about that now, though. 
What was important was that he found somewhere to hide. He needed to get somewhere to lie low before the stranger's gray horse appeared over the horizon. Even before his gang had started shooting, he knew something was off. The stranger, face covered in burns, had come from nowhere, trotting into the abandoned town Angel's Pit as if he owned the place. As the Oakley gang, a group of 15 bandits aimed their guns at the man on the ashy gray horse. He stepped down and held his hands up. Now, now, gentlemen, he said in a voice dry and hoarse as a lifelong smoker. I didn't come here for no shootout. Even as his hands were up, he smiled. Who in the hell are you? What's your business here? Demanded Bill, seeming mildly perturbed by the grinning intruder. Chuckling, he replied. <laughs> Call me what you like. As for what my business is. <clears throat> he paused as if trying to find the right words. Call it collection. Well... You done picked the wrong place for collecting, mister, Bill replied with only the swaggering confidence a bandit leader could. I don't really know what you was hoping to collect, but anything worth having is. Calm yourselves now. I didn't come here for no money, and I didn't come here for no food either. Puzzled, Bill approached the stranger. His revolver still aimed at him. Why then? Who sent you? You a lawman? Bounty hunter? Tapping his chin, the stranger hummed thoughtfully. Hmm. You could save the ladder. But you still wouldn't be quite on the mark there, William Abernathy. Everyone noticed when their leader froze. His voice now came out in a slow stutter. How in the hell do you know that name? Not even his gang knew his true family name, instead addressing him as Red Bill Lokely. I know plenty of things about you, Billy Boy, the stranger said, his grin widening, looking more grotesque with his burns. I know that you was one of them slave catchers back when that shit was still legal. Brought a bunch of escape folks back from the north. Put them back to work on your pa's plantation. Some of them were conveniently enough. His grin lowered into a hateful sneer, and his voice became a disdainful hiss. Damaged upon arrival. Beaten. Bones broken. Missing limbs. Wouldn't stop bad-mouthing you and your pa. Couldn't even be sold off. Couldn't put the irons on them, so you had to put lead in them, yeah? Even Abigail. Especially Abigail. All cause your dear little brother Jack loved her. The rage that which he spoke her name caused Bill's face to drain of all his bravado. 
He gazed at the stranger with the terror of a man facing the gallows as the memories of Abigail flooded back. The pleas of her mother to kill her instead. The callous slap he gave the woman. The shot. The wails that only a grieving mother could make. The horrified, betrayed screams of Jack. Tears fell from his eyes, but not because he felt remorse for the life he had lived. It was the fact that this stranger knew everything about it. That ghastly smile split the stranger's face again at Bill's fear. I hit the nail on the head, didn't I, Billy boy? The revolver shook in Bill's hand, lowering slowly and his gang looked upon him with a mix of shock, disgust, and terror at the stranger. As if he could sense their shock, he turned his head towards one of the bandits, a red-headed man. Oh, don't act like you're so innocent over there, Johnny. Remember how you stole daddy's gun when you were fifteen? Shot your little brother for stealing sweets from you? He turned his head to another man in the group, a 24-year-old man with a full beard. For you, Bert, when you left your pa to die in a fire, you started over an inheritance you spent on drinking and whoring. Then joining these pricks when it ran dry. Same goes for all of you. Birds of a feather and all that. I could go on, but I didn't come here for judging. That's someone else's business. As I said, I came here for collecting. Bill felt the cold, dead eyes before he saw them. Mistaking the stranger's intentions, he said, You can have Benny over there. Never really liked him. He gestured at one of the younger bandits, who looked at his once trusted leader with shock and betrayal on his face. However, the stranger's teeth just glinted in the moonlight as his grin widened further. He threw his head back and laughed much too hard for anyone under these circumstances. So much so that Bill winced in surprise. Ain't very bright, are you, Billy boy? This here ain't no matter of sacrifice. I said, I came here to collect. He emphasized the last word, looking directly at Bill. Then the rest of the gang. The leader caught on, as did the others. Any volunteers? The stranger asked, half rhetorically. A rifle shot caused Bill to jump as one of the other bandits, Cole, fired upon the stranger, the round hitting him square in the chest. Blood began to spread under the surface of the duster. Then, to the horror of the entire gang, he looked up and grinned at Cole like a fox cornering a hen. We have a winner. Without hesitation, his hand shot like a rattlesnake for his holster, then drew his revolver. 
In the moonlight, the engraving on the weapon shone, revealing itself to be a snarling wolf. He fired, leaving a vermilion smear on the rocks behind him. The rest of the Oakley gang ran for cover, then began firing at the stranger. All they did, however, was create new targets. When five more of the gang lay dead on the desert ground, the remainders continued firing wildly, letting their desperation and fear snuff out their better judgment. Casually, even as round after round hit him, the stranger opened the cylinder for his gun, then dropped a bullet in each chamber before turning to the rest of them. After reloading, he began firing at each man who fired first. None noticed that their leader, Bill, had escaped into the night. They kept shooting, but he didn't flinch no matter how many bullets entered his body. Soon, he finished his bloody work. Once that had been done, he had crossed out the names on the piece of paper given to him by the broker. All that was left was William Abernathy. His ears picked up the faint sound of hooves fleeing the hideout, and he smiled. So the vermin wanted to chase, did he? Fine by him. These others had served as little more than entertainment, appetizers in a sense. Run all you like, Billy boy! I'll find you! He yelled into the desert. He mounted his horse, then began a patient trot after his prey. Bill kept urging his horse, but the beast's steps were slowing down, and its breathing was labored. The escape had exhausted the poor horse, who stumbled and toppled to the ground. In a mix of frustration and hysteria, he leapt from the saddle, then shot the animal between his eyes. Grabbing whatever supplies he could from the saddlebags, he began looking around wildly for somewhere, anywhere to hide. His legs propelled him by otherworldly terror. He ran ahead, then was overcome with joy and relief. Angie has made it easier than ever to connect with skilled professionals to get all your jobs projects done well. If you own a home, you know how much work it can take, whether it's everyday maintenance and repairs or making dream projects a reality. It can be hard just to know where to start, but now all you need to do is Angie that and find a skilled local pro who will deliver the quality and expertise you need. Angie has over 20 years of home service experience and they've combined it with new tools to simplify the whole process. Bring them your project online or with the Angie app, answer a few questions, and Angie can handle the rest from start to finish or help you compare quotes from multiple pros and connect instantly, which means you can take care of just about any home project in just a few taps. Because when it comes to getting the most out of your home, you can do this when you Angie that. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com. A cave. Unable to believe his luck, he quickly got inside. He began rummaging through the saddlebags. 
A horrified gasp escaped his lips as he realized his error. There was food, but the bags contained no water, and there was very little money that he could use when he got to the next town, and only a few boxes of ammunition. Not that the last part mattered, as he had only brought the one revolver in his panic. He slumped against the wall of the cave. Bill knew he was done for. It didn't matter if the stranger found him or not. He was dead anyway. As if on cue, he heard the hooves. Suddenly, inexplicably, his fear was overwhelmed by rage. It wasn't fair. It just wasn't fair. He was Red Bill Oakley, one of the greatest outlaws Texas had ever known. When they passed through towns, the bartenders in the saloons would offer them free drinks in exchange for sparing them. Townsfolk would throw money at his feet if he so much as looked at them. They would be given residence in any inn or house, free of charge, just for letting the occupants live. Sometimes they spared them. Sometimes they shot or robbed the occupants anyway even burned the residences to the ground just for fun. People respected them because they were afraid of him, afraid that their town might become the next angel's pit. And in one night, this stranger had walked into the home he had rightfully stolen, killed his entire gang, and was now chasing him. For what? He seethed. Abigail would have taken Jack with her, the little harlot seeming to forget or not care that his gang's bullets had done no harm to the stranger. He cocked back the hammer on his revolver as the hooves got closer. As soon as it was about to round the edge of the cave's mouth, he ran out aiming the gun and letting out a vicious shout, which died on his lips. The horse was there all right, but there was no rider. As the bewildered Bill tried to make sense of all this, he heard a short whistle behind him. Slowly, almost as if he were being controlled by some outside force, he turned. In the back of the cave was the stranger, grinning and shoulders shaking lightly from his chuckling, like a child who had been hiding and waiting to jump out and scare someone. Bill recoiled and screamed with enough terror to wake the dead, then hastily aimed his pistol and fired once, twice, three times. This was followed by two more before a hollow click signaled that the gun was empty. Bill whimpered as he remembered that he had used the round to kill his steed. As the uninjured stranger exited the cave, Bill stumbled and fell, scooting back frantically. <laughs> Please, he stammered, rage forgotten and once again overwhelmed by terror. Please, let me go. I, I... We both know I can't do that, Billy boy, the stranger said with a falsely sympathetic expression. Bill tried to scramble away, but the stranger's hand clasped around his throat and slammed him against a large rock. 
His strength was unnatural, especially for someone so thin. You still haven't recognized me, have you? He asked, sounding almost disappointed as he began tying them up. Should I? Bill asked. Placing a hand over his heart, the stranger feigned offense. When he spoke next, his voice seemed to become less gravelly, sounding younger as well. Well, I'm wounded. I thought for sure you would have recognized your own flesh and blood, Billy Boy. There was a moment of silence as he registered the voice. Now that he was speaking that way, though, there was no mistaking it. He had seen those burns when his father's killer was hanged. <laughs> Jack? The stranger's face morphed into the same sneer he held when he mentioned Abigail. He kicked Bill in the ribs, driving the wind out of him. <clears throat> Goddamn straight, you little shit, he growled, his voice returning to the previous gravelly voice. Bill squirmed on the ground, groaning in pain and pulling at the bindings. <laughs> Why? <laughs> Why? Jack repeated in a mocking falsetto, then cruelly kicked him again. You know goddamn well why. The memory of Abigail came to Bill's memory. Then that was why you burned Paul's plantation when you got home from the war? Bill asked, his tone accusatory, despite his fear and pain. Why you killed Paul? I killed Paul for everything he did to those folks. He treated them like animals on the best of days, remember? Bill shook his head, either in disbelief or in denial. He then reached down and began rummaging through Bill's pockets, seeming to be looking for something. Eventually, he found it their mother's engagement ring, which he had planned to give to Abigail before her death. For the first time, an expression besides cruel glee or anger crossed his face. His face fell, and Jack clutched the ring in his fist, as if it would somehow bring back the woman he was about to offer it to. His memories were interrupted by Bill, and he was almost glad for it. He was never able to deal with grief well. Anger was much easier to express. Especially so because Bill, the man he once called his brother, was laughing bitterly. <laughs> that, that, that's all you wanted? <laughs> he cried out as he kept laughing, the sheer ludicrousness of the situation almost breaking his mind. <laughs> Ma's ring? You killed my gang, ruined my reputation, chased me all the way out here in the desert for that ring? Oh no, Bill, Jack replied coldly, beginning to draw some strange symbols on the ground as the laughter continued. I told you before, I was here to collect. Thing is, 
I'm here on someone else's behalf. Bill's laughter gradually faded as he noticed the symbols making a circle around him. <laughs> Jack? He asked uncertainly. What are... The symbols glowed scarlet, and suddenly, with a flash of red, they were joined by a third stranger. A tall, clean-shaven man without a bead of sweat on his skin despite the desert heat. The well-dressed stranger looked down from his place on a large white horse. It was the broker. He examined Bill with an appraising look, as if he were a merchant determining the value of a potentially valuable object. He turned to Jack and asked, So, is this the soul then? Don't see anyone else round, do you? Jack said sardonically. Merely a formality, replied the broker coolly. Bill looked back and forth from the man to Jack, then it all fell into place. <sighs> Jack, you can't be... I am, Bill, Jack replied venomously. You sent me to hell when you killed her. The gallows just finished the job. Except you won't be getting the luxury that your friends and me did. We at least had a little moment of darkness and silence when we died, just before the fire came. But you... <laughs> you ain't getting off so easy. You'll be going to hell alive first. <laughs> Tears began to run down Bill's cheek. No! Jack, please! I, I'm so sorry! He blubbered pathetically. Ignoring his brother's tears, crocodilian or not, Jack handed the list to the stranger who gave him an envelope, then gave a brief whistle as if calling a dog. Come on, boys! The broker exclaimed. Supper time! Without warning, the symbols glowed again, and the head of a snarling black canine shot up from the ground where Bill was lying and sunk its teeth into his arm, accompanied by many more. He screamed and struggled and begged and cursed, but Jack just watched as Bill was dragged by the hounds. So long, Billy boy, he said mockingly. Don't forget to say hi to Paul for me, you hear? The last sight Bill saw of the earth was of his own brother grinning as he entered the inferno. When it was done, the broker whistled, seemingly in amazement. I'm beginning to understand what the client sees in you, Jack, he remarked. You are a ruthless one, aren't you? The bounty, please, Jack said curtly. The broker simply nodded and pulled out an envelope which he handed to Jack. 
He then tipped his hat, then rode away, vanishing into thin air. Jack opened the envelope. The paper inside showed the names of the bandits, along with numbers next to them, the worth of their souls due to their evil deeds. At the bottom it read, Remaining number of souls required for redemption, 72. He sighed, then put away the paper. It wasn't much, but it got him closer to his goal. He held the ring in his hand again. For the first time in years, he gave a small, genuine smile as tears welled up in his eyes, drying them quickly as if he was worried to be caught crying. He tucked the ring into his coat, then mounted his horse and rode off into the desert to await his next contract. He didn't think he trusted the client all too well. Only fools did. But all the same, if there was even a sliver of hope of seeing his beloved Abigail again, he would take it. Until then, he would paint the entire West red if need be. And that was The Condemned by author Gray Walker. A good reminder that some clients drive a hard bargain. Also, be nice to your brother's girlfriend. Listen, I get it, but he likes her. A little about the author. Gray Walker is a writer from Alabama currently working on getting his M.A. in creative writing. His favorite genres of writing are sci-fi, fantasy, horror, or some mix between those. His main sources of literary inspiration include Stephen King, Frank Herbert of Dune fame, Isaac Asimov, and fellow Reddit authors Elias Witherow, C.K. Walker, Matt Demersky, and Mr. Outlaw. You can find more of his writing at thegraywalker.wordpress.com and on his Reddit account, which you can find the link to up in the show notes. Thanks, Gray. For our second story tonight, we welcome a new author to the show, Luciano Moreno. This one's the tale of a man whose world is turning toward the precipice. So, from author Luciano Moreno, I give you the last parade around here. Lenny had been dead more than a week and was not a pleasant sight, lying in a field of parched grass, baked and bloated under the pitiless July sun, when Sheriff Dandy finally received enough angry phone calls to incite his begrudgingly dragging his ample behind off his customary stool down at Kathy's diner and out to Floyd Erickson's place to see about arrangements. Floyd was not friendly at the best of times, as everyone in town knew. The sheriff was expecting him to be more cantankerous than usual, too, what with his grief and all. 
The old cuss was still a human being, though, Dandy thought as he drove, and people do have feelings to consider. He knew this would require a defter hand in his usual responsibilities, but knew also it simply had to be addressed. He couldn't take those phone calls. It wasn't like Lenny had been a dog. That would have been different, Dandy reasoned, stepping from his cruiser. No siree. A dog was something else entirely. But Lenny was a horse. Had been a horse, that is. Lenny wasn't much of anything anymore, except a quickly putrefying mound of rotten meat that was upsetting a lot of people enough to make them bother him. Something had to be done. The sheriff hadn't moved more than ten paces from his car when the smell hit him like a runaway Mack truck on a slick wintertime road. It was a powerful odor, as if every nasty smell that had ever snuck up Dandy's nose had been sweltering for years at the bottom of a bag of soiled diapers someplace, and then decided to leap up altogether and bear hug his face. Dandy tried to catch his breath without actually breathing. It was a chore. He eventually settled for short, shallow gasps and forcibly gulped down a bag as he climbed the stairs to the porch. The sheriff knocked, noting the peeling paint, loose boards, and Christmas lights, months overdue for removal that maimed the house like infected sores. Not long ago, such disorder would be unthinkable at the Erickson place. That had been before Helen passed, though. Except for a monthly trip to the grocery and feed stores, Floyd didn't hardly come into town anymore. It was for the best. When he had still been making a pretense of socialization, Floyd would stop at Elkie's Tavern once in a while, and it always ended in a call to Dandy. The skinny old man was surprisingly destructive after a few whiskeys when he took a notion to be. Lately, that seemed to be the only kind of notion Floyd had. Dandy knocked again and spat over the porch railing, trying to get the taste of rot out of his mouth. It did not work. He sucked a few more wispy breaths, and then a shout like a whip crack came from behind and made him jump. What you want, Dandy? <gasps> Lord, Floyd! Dandy gasped slash gagged. You scared the daylights out of me. What you want? The old man said again from the bottom of the porch steps. He wore ratty jeans and a white t-shirt stained yellow at the center of his sunken chest and under his wiry arms. A faded trucker cap was pulled low, shading his glare. I just came by to see how you are. Dandy's words were slick and slimy in his polluted mouth. Haven't seen you around town. Fine. Floyd stamped up the stairs and stood aggressively close. Everything's wonderful here. Dandy took a half-step back and bumped his large behind into the shaky porch railing. So glad to hear it. Will you be coming into town for the parade? Beneath the bill of his cap, Floyd's right eye began to twitch. Once upon a time, the idea of a Founder's Day parade without Lenny riding proudly in the back of Floyd's truck, the horse clad in his customary Uncle Sam hat and fake beard, would have been as unthinkable as the current state of the old man's porch. But now, Dandy was simply groping for some kind of icebreaker to get this chat started off on the right foot. If that was even possible. It might be good for you, the sheriff said to Floyd's silence, sweating profusely beneath the old man's stare. He took off his hat and wiped his brow with the back of his meaty forearm. 
shifting from one uncomfortable foot to the other. Floyd ran a hand over his unshaven face. Good for me, he repeated slowly. It might also be good for me, Sheriff, if you'd get yourself back to that diner stool and let me bury my horse. Dandy sighed, then immediately regretted it as the taste grew suddenly much worse and said as politely as he could, I told you already, Floyd, you can't bury an animal that size in this state. It's illegal. Something about contaminating groundwater or something. I don't know for sure, but you can't. You got to call that number I gave you. It's my property. It's my horse. I understand that, Floyd, but people are complaining about the smell. It's pretty bad, don't you think? It's a health concern. If you don't call that number, I'm going to have to do it for you. Complaining? <laughs> Floyd gave an ugly chuckle. You've been getting bothered, Sheriff. A few phone calls keeping you from your afternoon pie. Dandy straightened up and slapped the hat on his thigh. Now see here, Floyd. I'm real sorry about your wife. Everybody is. That's why we've been letting you carry on this way. And I'm real sorry about Lenny. I know you love that critter. You've had a damn rough go of things these last few years, and it just ain't fair. But the law's the law. Floyd tipped his hat back, and his scowl searched the horizon. <sighs> it's all gone wrong. I know, Floyd, but sometimes there ain't no reason for things. It's nobody's fault. Bull, the old man sneered, tugging his hat brim down, all business again. The corn wilts in the field when I done everything just the way I always have. And that's my fault. I gotta tuck tail and live on food stamps. Watch my wife go without. Then Helen rots away, and they say it ain't nobody's fault. I still got a whole heap of bills from those smart-ass doctors. Floyd stuffed his hands violently into his pockets as if to keep from hitting something. Hmm. It's this damn town. It's the rotten soul of this place people are smelling, Sheriff. Not my horse. Now get off my porch and leave me be. Dandy, seeing this was not going to end well if he pushed the matter today, put on his hat, hitched up his belt, and moved to the steps. Okay, Floyd, but if Lindy's not gone in two days, I'm going to have to make that call, understand? To the sheriff's back, the old man said, I understand you just fine. As the cop car pulled away, leaving a cloud of dust hovering in its wake like a dirty mist, Floyd moved his attention from its diminishing silhouette to the dark lump in the field that had once been Lenny. Small figures hovered in the air, darting in to snatch him away one piece at a time. Vultures. They had begun to gather days ago, before Lenny had even died. A horde of the gloomy hunched birds dotted the fence on the far side of the field now, watching Floyd's every move with eerie patience. Scavengers gotta eat too, Floyd thought as he reached for the pistol tucked into the back of his jeans. Hmm, but not yet. He pulled the slide back and thumbed the safety off as he walked down the stairs.
Not yet. The remains of Lenny were not in the field when Dandy drove by two days later. He lowered his window a crack and only the faintest remnant of the terrible smell remained in the air, drifting up from the dirt like campfire smoke from a pair of Levi's after a cookout. Floyd was nowhere to be seen either, a fact for which Dandy was equally thankful. Truth be told, the old man scared him. There was something in his eyes a few shades darker than simple anger when he spoke. Something more terrible than grief in his voice when he said, I understand you just fine. Dandy could see where the old man was coming from. The county had changed, but Dandy believed the man had to learn to roll with the change if he was to survive his trek through this crazy world. The Erickson spread had once been the outskirts of town, but now the houses and shops and gas stations had spread out like spilled beer around the bowl of pretzels. The land that had once belonged to small farm operations had been picked up cheap by city folks with city money. They loved living in the country, thought it was real quaint. The new highway and businesses had eagerly followed their rural migration. Lordly estates had sprung up like weeds. Two and three car garages, big swimming pools and driveways the size of parking lots now dominated what was once pasture. It was good for property values, but the farmers who had been struggling to make their payments as it was quickly learned it was easier and more profitable for the banks to foreclose, roust them, and sell the land to a lawyer looking for a house with a big yard. These new folks liked the idea of the country, Dandy had quickly learned, but not the reality. They loved the farms that lined the picturesque horizons, but they despised the smell of fertilizer and the noisy work that started early on weekends. They complained loudly, and they complained to Dandy. The sheriff turned the car around and headed back to town. At least the old man had come around. His threat to Floyd had been a bluff he had not looked forward to being called on. It was the air of desperation, Dandy decided, that made the guy so unsettling. He was old with nothing left to lose, and that was a dangerous creature. Even fat, simple Sheriff Dandy knew that. Floyd watched the cruiser turn around and drive away, peeking out from between the barn doors. He saw the sheriff's big head in the window, chins jiggling with each bounce. Floyd slowly returned to the rancid dark, whistling an old work song his father had taught him long ago. A pleasant song, his old man had said, can make even the worst job go quicker. Floyd, now an old man himself and not as strong as he once was, hoped that was true. He had bad business ahead of him today. Though it had always proven accurate, he had never tested his father's theory quite this severely before. In the center of the barn, beneath plastic tarps, Lenny festered. The tarps muted the smell. It all but disappeared outside in the breeze, but in the barn, the air was still pretty horrid. Flies buzzed in thick black clouds around the large murky room like shadows come to life. Floyd readjusted the bandana around his mouth and nose, but they found his eyes quickly and worried his face as he set to work. His tools were spread on the table near the wall, neatly arranged. He was a stickler for order. Helen had nagged that trade into him early in their marriage. 
It was one more thing he hadn't realized she had done for him until it was too late to thank her. He pushed the thought of his wife away. There was no room for good memories in that nasty darkness of the barn. He didn't want those beloved recollections infected with the budding memories of what he was about to do. Like wiggling maggots in a once prime steak. Plenty of time for memory lane later, he thought. Now, I gotta get ready for Main Street. Because whatever else the stupid cop had said, he had been right about one thing. Floyd was going to attend the parade. It would indeed be good for him. Lenny was coming too, of course. The silly old horse had loved the parade even more than Floyd. He wouldn't miss it. Not over his dead body. With a precariously tall tower of soft serve rising out of a waffle cone in one hand and an extra large cup of lemonade in the other, Sheriff Dandy returned the waves of the citizens rushing by with friendly nods, keeping his hands steady and his refreshments within easy reach of his mouth as he strode about the bustling streets. The Founders' Day festivities were going full tilt. Everyone zigged and zagged to stake a claim to a spot along the main drag from which to watch the parade from. A band of scruffy high school boys wrung the last few seconds from a Red Hot Chili Peppers cover to the squealing delight of a gaggle of high school girls. As the crowd began to flow away from the stage in the parking lot of the shopping stop toward the sidewalk. The sun was out, but it was not too hot and there had not been a single incident that merited Dandy's attention yet that morning. The streets were packed, the sidewalk jammed with excited youngsters and amiable parents pressed close. Cameras clicked. Heads were thrown back with laughter. Sun glinted from hundreds of pairs of tinted lenses on hundreds of smiling faces. All is right with the world, the sheriff thought, taking another luxurious lick of his ice cream. He had at first kept an eye out for Floyd, thinking perhaps tradition would win out and the old man would make an appearance. Now the grumpy coot was miles from Dandy's thoughts as the contented sheriff eyed the horizon and awaited, along with everyone else in town, for the start of the parade. When asked later, Dandy could never be certain if he saw the truck before he detected the smell. Many years and even more flabby pounds afterward when he was half senile and long retired and told his tales from a booth instead of his usual stool at Kathy's diner, Dandy could not be exactly sure when he knew something bad was about to happen. Then again, he never was much of a cop. Ask anyone else who was there, though, the ones willing to talk about it, that is, and they'll tell you it was the smell. The smell came first then the truck, and with it, the town's first glimpse of Floyd Erickson's terrible piñata. Lenny's sagging belly hung pendulously beneath the rest of the corpse, which swayed in the golden afternoon light, suspended by heavy chains from a makeshift scaffold in the back of Floyd's truck. The old man piloted the vehicle down Main Street, well ahead of the rest of the parade, like a macabre pace car in a hellish race to nowhere. The maggoty animal's corpulent gut hung so heavily that it tore at the stretched hide that held it in, rending large crimson streaks in the faded gray coat that had once been a healthy chestnut hue. 
from the bottom of that fleshy sack, a tightly coiled line of wires protruded from a sutured gash. They led through the cab's small back window, a wick slithering from some abominable candle. Behind the wheel, Floyd looked neither left nor right, but straight ahead with a fixed, unblinking certainty. He steered the truck in its repugnant display slowly down the parade route before the hushed crowd. A tightly stretched smile pulling the corners of his mouth too high, his eyes too wide and shiny. Then, the carcass exploded. First, they say, it swelled. The skin stretched further, the gut hung lower, and all of Lenny seemed to expand and strain against his already weakened seams like a balloon animal filled with an extra breath too many. The effect lasted less than a second, but still they remember the bulging, the ripping. Then the soggy meat gave way. What remained of the horse surrendered to the outward pressure of the explosion after Floyd punched the detonation button on the device in the seat beside him. Gore rained down on the crowd. A small amount of black powder and a simple detonator is a common enough tool to find on a farm. Floyd had used the same setup not more than four months prior to do away with a bothersome tree stump in his back field. It was no trouble for an industrious fellow like him to reconfigure things a bit for his final appearance in the Founders Day Parade. The truck did not so much as slow down. There were some witnesses who say Floyd did not even turn his head to enjoy the spectacle he created. He drove on, they insist, steadily and slowly as ever, leaving behind a pelting rain of offals soaking the stunned revelers. There was absolute silence as the last of the biblical precipitation fell, coating the road and the gathered masses alike. Then the screaming began. Children wailed as their blood-soaked parents grabbed them up and fled, pushing, scrambling, slipping, sliding, falling. Panic quickly took hold as incomprehensible sensations set in among the attendees. The slick warmth and the terrible stench and the cementing of the realization of what it was they were covered in. Dandy watched it all, perfectly frozen. He was still holding his refreshments, ice cream now lathered in a thick red-black syrup that dripped from his shaking fist. Behind and slightly above the cacophony of chaos, he heard the growing call of the arriving flock become more pronounced. Up the road, Floyd in fact did spare a single glance in the mirror to watch as the first eager arrivals began to dive down upon the fleeing throng. The crows had come first, as he had guessed they would. They were the more predatory species, but the vultures would not be far behind. They'd followed his truck the whole way into town. The birds would not be denied now. They would feast on what he had left for them all over the emptying streets, picking them clean like the bones of a dead Goliath, the last of a rare breed Floyd knew now to be extinct. There's no place like home, he thought and laughed out loud. He watched as the dark shapes congregated over the marred corpse of the town, smothered now in the remnants of his last friend. Then he shifted his gaze to the horizon, 
and did not look back again. Scavengers gotta eat too, Floyd thought as he reached for the radio dial. <laughs> they get us all in the end. Soon he knew they would get him too. There would be sirens, flashing lights in the mirror, and questions. So many questions. He'd deal with that when it came, though he doubted his answers would bring anyone much satisfaction. He had no revelations to offer, no insights. That was all still to come, though. For now, there was only the road flowing out before him like a long black river, speeding him away from bad memories and haunting failures. Not back into the past so much or off into some fantasy future, but rather sideways it took him, wrapping Floyd in a vague and comforting better version of the present. The music was loud, the day clear. For just a minute, he could see Helen in the seat beside him, laughing and tossing her hair back. She was young and pretty again, not eaten up by cancer, not sick anymore. He looked through the blood that covered the rear window and saw Lenny standing proud in his Uncle Sam getup. The dumb horse was shaking his mane as if he were laughing too. Floyd laughed along with them, rolling down the driver's window and sticking an elbow out into the wind. His shoulder was pelted by beading blood, bits of slimy flesh flying off the hood. He didn't notice. He tugged his cap low, kept his eyes on the far horizon, and left everything else to rot in his wake. That, as he had recently learned, was called progress. Talk about going out with a bang. That was The Last Parade Around Here by Luciano Moreno. A good reminder that one man's progress is another man's dead horse pinata. A little about the author. Luciano Moreno is an award-winning author, photographer, and journalist. His short fiction has appeared in numerous anthologies, including Year's Best Hardcore Horror, the Best New Weird Horror, Monsters, Movies, and Mayhem, winner of the Colorado Book Award, and Crash Code, nominated for Splatterpunk Award. His work has also appeared on Night Script, Pseudopod, and Horror Hill. A trilogy of werewolf novellas, The Ambush Moon Cycle, is now available. His reporting, written and photographic, has earned a number of industry awards. And he was twice named a Feature Writer of the Year by the Washington Newspaper Publishers Association. A U.S. Navy veteran, originally from rural western Pennsylvania, he now resides near Seattle. Thanks, Luciano. And do old Drew Blood a favor, would you? Subscribe to his podcast wherever you do your listening and leave him a five-star review and a kind word, even if you're listening on YouTube. He needs soldiers on all fronts to win this battle, and he appreciates it. To hear a premium ad-free edition of tonight's and all the other episodes, visit simplyscarypodcast.com today and click Patrons in the upper menu. You'll find yourself at chillintalesfordarknights.com, where you can become a patron for as little as $5 per month and get access to their entire audio archive, 
all ad-free and available to download or stream. Thank you for your time and for supporting our sponsors. When you support our sponsors, you support this show. If you happen to use Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, or YouTube, you can follow and subscribe to Chillin' Tales for Dark Nights there, where you'll get all the latest updates and new releases and have the chance to interact with them each and every week. Oh, and you can find Drew Blood on Facebook and Instagram, and sometimes Twitter. The Drew Blood's Dark Tales podcast is accepting submissions, friend. If you've got a story or two you'd like to be featured on the show, send it to drewbloodhorror at gmail.com. If selected, you'll get the full treatment, 10 bananas. Well, I'm afraid this is where we part ways, at least till next week. So grab a drink for the road, friend. I'll be sure to have plenty for you next week. You're gonna need them. So to all my friends this week, May the wind be at your back, and may the road rise up to meet you. I'll see y'all next week. No spring break for old Drew Blood. Until then, go fuck yourselves. (laughs) Good night, y'all.